are continuing in our series called The King and His Cross. And what we're doing is we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark, which is the second gospel in the New Testament. It's a story essentially of Jesus's life on earth. And it is actually Peter's story, but written by Mark. So you can imagine Peter telling all of these stories of Jesus on earth and Mark is frantically writing them down. And there's such a sense of urgency with the way he writes it. Today we're in Mark 8, and so actually this is the part where you need your Bible, so if you don't already have it out, swipe to it, flick to it, I'll trust that you're not playing games. And if you would like a physical copy, then I'm going to ask Frank to hand out some Bibles for me. Thank you, Frank. Pop your hand in the air if you would like a physical copy. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to Mark 8.22, but before we do that, let me just talk a little bit. You can see that I wear glasses. Many of you are also glasses wearers. You can sympathize with me and appreciate what it's like to have blurred vision, right? That moment where you first wake up and you've got no idea what it is you're seeing. You don't have your glasses on. Or that, <laughs> that moment where you thought you put your contact lenses in, but you didn't, and you can't quite see. But for some of us, actually, we're very blessed with 2020 vision, or much better vision than mine anyway. But I know that there will be moments in your life where you've had blurred vision. Maybe it is, I don't know you've got sleep in your eyes or blinded by the sun or you've had an eye infection, something like that. I I think we can all agree that we've had moments, haven't we, where our vision is a little bit blurred or not quite what it should be. Can you imagine what it would be like to be completely blind? And I know that for some people in this room, they've had experience of being partially sighted or completely blind over the course of their lives. But can you imagine it, guys? Can you imagine total darkness? Everybody close their eyes for a moment. Imagine that's what your life was like, complete darkness. All you could rely on was your sense of smell and your sense of hearing. It's going to come in again now. It would be quite disorientating, wouldn't it? And quite a confusing place to be. And I'd like to suggest that whilst that is a physical reality for many people, it's actually a spiritual reality for lots of us. And these passages that we're going to look at today, actually they run parallel with each other for a reason. And I've never spotted it before, so I'm quite excited to look at the two of them together with you today. We can take these two passages completely separate. One of them is a physical healing, and the other one is a moment of insight um, for Peter. And when you take them separately, there's loads you could say about each one of them. But when you put them together, as Mark has done, what you see is that there's such a parallel between physical sight and spiritual sight. And that is what we're going to explore today. So let's turn, shall we, to Mark 8, 22. I shall read. It should come up on the screen behind me, but I apologize if the font is a bit weird. Mm. Had a bit of a disaster with my laptop this week. I thought it'd be really good to reset it to factory settings. It wasn't such a good idea. Anyway, hopefully you can read along with me. So Mark 8, 22. It says this. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. 
And then interestingly, our Bibles are split by little subheadings, but they won't have been uh, in the original day. So the text goes on to say, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Okay, so these are the two passages that we are looking at today. A moment of physical healing and a moment of insight. Let me tell you a story that I read this week. Um, This particular story happened in 1991, but I'm now reliably informed that it's happened many times since then. But for me, I'm going with 1991. In 91, in California, um, a freak storm happened where people were just merrily driving around on Interstate Number 5, and all of a sudden, the wind picked up to 50 mile an hour, and what it did was it whipped up the topsoil off of all of the surrounding fields so that people who were driving along on their way to wherever they were going, quite happily, suddenly had absolute zero visibility. And what ensued, as you can imagine, was complete carnage, utter chaos, where people couldn't see a thing at all. All their windscreens were completely covered in sand. And so it lasted, I think, around about half an hour and then stopped. And then when people were um, clearing the way, when people, the emergency services were there, what they saw was a 13-mile pileup. Lots and lots of people all crashed into one another. There were lives lost. It was utter carnage, utter tragedy, utter destruction, and complete despair for many people. There were life-changing injuries. It was horrific. That's a physical uh, situation. But the truth is, our lives can be like that, can't they? We can be rushing headlong, making decisions left, right, and center. But if we haven't got our spiritual eyes open, if we're not looking for Jesus, if we're not relying upon the truth that we know is in the Bible, then we too can be heading straight into disaster. It says here in verse 23, do you see anything? And I believe that's a question that comes all the way through time from Jesus asking Peter back then to current day. Do you see anything in the situations in your lives right now where you are desperate for God to speak and you are desperate for something to happen? Do you see anything? Because I think the truth is quite often we don't see a thing. We're completely blinded and we don't understand what's happening or where God has gone or why he's left us. But what we see here is that Jesus has taken this man by the hand in a really personal way, taken him outside the village and healed him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he, he spits in the man's eyes. First of all, uh, no, Jesus, I can't see because you've just spat in my eyes. Bit gross. But secondly, he touches the man's eyes and he says, do you see anything? Now, I don't think Jesus is having an off day. I don't think Jesus has come from this place of healing people left, right, and center, constantly just saying, pick up your mat and walk, or your faith has healed you. I don't think all of a sudden Jesus is a bit tired and can't quite tell whether this miracle has worked. 
think Mark has very deliberately put this in here for us to realize it's not always instant. God loves a process and there is a process to everything. And then when we flash forward uh, to verse 24, the man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So he can see, he just can't see clearly. And then when you parallel that with the fact that Jesus says, who did they say I am? And Peter's saying, well, some people think you're this guy. Some people think you're this guy. We're not really very sure. And then Jesus says, yeah, but who do you say I am? What we're seeing here is a parallel because the world is not seeing who Jesus is. And in that moment, for the first time, Peter sees it. He sees who Jesus is. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for, for a long, long time. And in this moment, he declares it. But what did it take? It took Jesus taking the man out of his chaotic and busy life. It took him taking him away and having a personal moment with him for him to be healed. And what did it take for Peter? Exactly the same. They were walking, they were away from the busyness that they had been in. Jesus took them out of the busyness and gave them sudden spiritual insight. Guys, that's what we need. It's no coincidence that we're doing this in small groups. We need the Holy Spirit to be showing us what it is that he sees. Because quite frankly, our sight is rubbish when it comes to the spiritual world. We need a touch from Jesus so that we're not rushing headlong into danger. The next thing that we see Jesus saying is don't go back. In fact, I quite like the way he says it. He says, don't even don't even go there. Don't even go back into the village. I love that bit of modern day language. <laughs> In verse 25, doesn't he? He says, don't even go into the village. Now, we don't know who this guy is. There's not a whole bunch of text that tells us what his name was, how old he was, when he went blind, uh, where he was from, where he was going, why he was traveling there. We don't know any of that stuff. And scholars have tr kind of tried to pluck some of that together. But the truth is, we just don't know. But what we do know is that when he was in this place in Bethsaida, he couldn't see. He was blind. It was his friends who took him to see Jesus. And then when he comes to Jesus, Jesus miraculously heals him. We have no idea whether this guy was a Jew, a Gentile, whether he was a follower of Jesus at this point or not. But we do know that he was blind and now he's not. And then Jesus says, don't even go back to the village. Why? I believe that he's saying, don't go back to that life. Don't go back to the life where you were blind. And don't we all need to hear that too? Don't go back to how you were before. If you know Jesus and you have him in your life, then what has happened is you've received a new life. In him whether you knew that or not that is what you have received that very first moment where you invited Jesus into your life what happened was everything that had gone before that point Jesus erased and paid for on the cross everything terrible that has ever happened to you everything that's happened in your childhood everything that's happened up until that point 
that, yes, has shaped you and has made you think the way you do, has made you behave the way you do, of course, has become part of your identity. But guys, when you invited Jesus into your life, you have a new identity in him. And that's what this man received. He was uh, healed from blindness and given a completely new identity. And we don't just see that here, we see it all the way through the Gospels. We see it in the letters after that as well. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We're given a new life. And Jesus is saying to us, don't even go back. What happens in this moment is that we are completely adopted into God's family. Now, it doesn't get rid of everything that's happened to us. Obviously, we still remember all of the things that have happened to us throughout life, good and bad. But what it means is that we now have a choice. Are we going to live a life still shaped by all of those things? Or are we going to live a life shaped by Jesus, helped by the Holy Spirit that is in every single one of us? And I'd like to suggest that if you don't know Jesus here today, if you haven't yet asked him into your life, but you've been thinking, I kind of want to, or I didn't know that this was available to me, then honestly, it is one of the best things that you can do. And we're going to provide a space at the end for you to uh, receive Jesus into your life if you want to, because it's that simple. All you have to do is ask. When we receive him into our lives, we are then shaped by him. And as a church... We want to be shaped by Jesus. We don't want to be just shaped by ourselves or by a book that we've read and it sounded quite cool, so we'll do that thing. Or, you know, let's face it, how many people are there in this room? Around 60? We've all come from very different backgrounds. Do we want to be shaped by all of our stuff? I, I definitely don't. I want, I want Jesus to shape us as a church because I know that God has incredible things for us as individuals, but also for Ellen and the surrounding areas. God has incredible things for every single one of them, but we have to choose to be shaped by him. Uh, I read a verse in 1 John this week um, that I really liked, and it kind of sums up a bit of what we're saying. So I'm just going to read it to you. In 1 John 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Uh, now uh, Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the fact that we are spiritually blind right now is to be expected because we're in the world. But there is a day coming when we will see everything that Jesus sees. And so I would suggest if you're in that moment where you've no idea whether God's going to show up or not, you've no idea whether something's actually going to happen off the back of that prayer that you said, you will know. And God is moving. You just can't see it. And so he says to us, don't go back. That's a tricky thing, isn't it? So I know for me, I didn't become a Christian until I was 30. I know you're thinking, surely you're not much older than that now. It was literally only last week, it's okay. Um, 
But for me, that meant I had 30 years of life shaped um, by everything that had gone before that moment. And it was quite a tricky thing to suddenly live in this space of, oh, I don't have to live that way. I don't have to operate that way. I don't have to think that way because actually Jesus can make me more like him. I found that really tricky. And I found a story this week of this guy called Virgil, who I th- and I think it um, will help us understand. So Virgil um, was blinded when he was eight uh, by a disease. And in that time, there was no cure for this disease. There was no way of him getting his sight back. There was no research into what he had. And so he lived his life predominantly blind. But isn't it incredible? Our brains are very clever, and they help us to adjust and help us to learn to go about life. And he lived uh, a good life. But by the time he got to the age of 55, doctors said to him, actually, there's been a lot of research, and there is now a surgery you can have that will completely restore your sight. Shall we do that? And he said, yes, let's do that. I do want my sight back. So he had the surgery, completely restored sight. Can you imagine? Like 40-odd years of total blindness, and then all of a sudden, you can see again. Of course, he's celebrating. This is an incredible moment. He can see. He can see everything that he used to see when he was a little boy. It was an amazing moment. But what the doctors and him and his family have recounted since then is that for years after that moment, Virgil lived exactly the same as he had when he was blind. Because he'd spent years figuring out what it was like to be blind. What it was like to have to feel your way around. What it was like to have to rely on your sense of hearing. What it was like to put protective things in place so that you weren't putting yourself into danger. It took Virgil years of relearning how to live, being able to see. And guys, that's what it's like for us. It's not a sudden moment. And again, I think that's why Mark has included this in here. It's not a, here you go, you know Jesus now, your life's going to be amazing, off you go, you're never going to have to think about all of that stuff again. No, it's not like that at all. We wish it was. But it's really not. And the fact is that God has made it into a process so that we can learn and so that we can grow and so that we can choose to follow him. And so let's get alongside one another. When we talk about small group and when we talk about family lunches, we're not meant to do this life alone, guys. We're meant to rely on one another. We're meant to have people in our lives that are able to say, Tammy, why are you doing that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, (laughs) Ruth's one of them. (laughs) Do you realize, Tammy, that actually that's not how you're meant to do that? uh, I have one friend, actually, who called me on something this week that I I was completely... um, Actually, no, that's a lie. I was not unaware of it. I was choosing not to look at it. I just put it out there. It's confession time. Uh, And literally, as soon as I was in the presence of this friend who knows me really well, she said to me, what's wrong with you? what are you talking about? I'm totally fine. I've had a great week. Nope, there's something wrong with you. What is it? We should pray. Oh man, you can read me like a book. This is ridiculous. But in that moment, we prayed and God showed me something that I had not even realized was a factor in my life again. And that is what it's like, guys. When you've got someone in your life that knows you well enough that can say something's not right with you, what is it? Is there an insecurity here that is Uh, being stirred up over something is there something happening here why don't we just invite Jesus into it and that's how simple it is we invited God in he did something incredible 
uh, and I felt much better after that moment. And it just highlights to me that God is in the business of taking us away. Like I said in this first point, he takes us away. He has quiet moments with us. And he says, Tammy, don't go back. Don't do that. That's the way you used to think. That's not the way I called you to think. So we need to see, we need to stay in the presence of God. And my last point is taken from uh, verse 27 and 29, where he says, who do they say I am? And who do you say I am? You see, all the way through the Gospels to this point, everyone is asking, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? I thought he was a carpenter. Or I just thought he was some dude. I didn't realize, you know, I just thought that he kind of knew scripture. I don't understand where he learned it from. Because you have to remember that in order for him to have had that amount of knowledge, the world would have said he would have had to have followed a rabbi all the way through his life. So for him to have the amount of insight that he had, they could not understand where he'd got all this knowledge from. So everyone's asking. In fact, even the disciples are asking, who is this? When they see him calm a storm and have authority over physical elements, they're saying, whoa, who is this guy? And they weren't sure exactly who it was they were following. They knew they were meant to follow him. They knew that he'd asked them to follow him. They knew that he could do incredible things, but they didn't really properly understand who he was. And so here we have this moment where Jesus is saying, who's, you know, what's the chat? What's the chat, guys? Who's everybody saying I am? What have you heard? And they're saying, well, some of them say you're Elijah, which you can imagine because God did incredible things with and through Elijah back in the Old Testament. So some of them will be saying, oh, Elijah did things like that, so he must be Elijah. Some are saying John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist baptized lots of people, seemed to really know God, loved God. I can see that. Yep, I can see why you think I'm that. But then he says, who do you say I am, though? And in that moment, Peter is thinking, uh, I'm not sure. You can imagine it, can't you? So Jesus is saying, what about it? You know, who do, you, who do they say I am? And Peter's like, okay, I know the answer to this one. I've got it. Because you have to remember, Jesus has been talking in parables, which are like stories, all the way through this. And it's quite confusing for Peter. You can uh, go back and read some of them. Peter's the one that's often quite confused. Uh, and in this moment, he's thinking, yes, I've got the answer. I know. They say you're John the Baptist. They say you're Elijah. Some of them say you're a prophet. And then jo- uh, Jesus says, but who do you say I am? You can imagine Peter going, oh, no, I, don't, I haven't prepared for this one. I'm not sure. Uh, and in that moment, it just comes out of his mouth. You are the Messiah. It's like all of a sudden, Jesus has just removed this veil from his eyes. And all of a sudden, he can see, whoa, all of these things that you've been doing, Jesus, I see it now. You've been trying to tell me all along. I can't believe I didn't see it. And that's exactly what we're like, right? So we read the Bible, we pray, we sing songs of worship, we have moments with Jesus. But often we can revert back to just thinking, He's like, he was a great guy, Jesus, you know. He was a philosopher, he was a good teacher, yeah, I know, I know he can do that stuff, that's right, he can do that stuff. But quite often we kind of place it at a distance and we don't really see or grasp the weight of 
who Jesus is. But in this gospel, all the way through it, we are seeing Jesus time and time and time again display exactly who he is. He is the Jesus who can speak to wind and waves and make them stop. He is the Jesus that can speak to demons inside a man and make them come out. He is the Jesus who can speak to disease and make it stop. He's the Jesus who can speak to broken legs and uh, paralyzed men and they can suddenly walk. He is the Jesus who calls disciples to him and brings them in close to say, look, look who it is you're following. I am God. I am the son of God. That is the Jesus that they're following. And guys, that's the Jesus we're following. This is the same Jesus then as it is now. The Jesus who can heal our diseases. The Jesus who can uh, help us to see in a way that we couldn't see before. That can give us revelation, that can give us wisdom, that can give us guidance on situations. And again, I said it a little bit earlier on, but this was really difficult for me to grasp hold of. In fact, for me, my story was a bit back to front. Um, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Lots of you know this already. Um, I had been to church a few times, um, but you know, no, um, not regularly at all. And I had no real teaching on what Christianity was all about. And in actual fact, um, my dad did not like religion at all. Uh, he was quite vocal about that. He thought that um, religion had a lot to answer for, and as did the church. It turns out that something happened with him when he was much younger. None of us really know what that was, um, but him and his brother and his family were not treated very well by the church. And from that moment on, he made a decision, that's it. I don't want religion in my life, this, this God stuff. I'm going to hold it at arm's length. In fact, if you believe any of that, you're a bit stupid. Why would you want that? in your life. And that's what we were brought up um, to believe. And since then, Jesus has been able to show me that actually, two things, actually for my dad, he was a broken man who was badly hurt by people, not by religion, not by Jesus, by people, because we're people and we get it wrong. And churches, we get it wrong. Church leaders all the way through history some have got it dramatically wrong. And we're here to tell you, Brian and I, that we will get it wrong. And I hope you can forgive us for the mistakes that we make. But guys, we're human. Don't put us on a pedestal because we can't reach it or push it. And so, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, <laughs> and for my dad, what that did was it shaped him. And it blinded him from the reality that Jesus could have been part of his life. And that's a sad truth. But what it also has shown me, what God has shown me throughout all of that, is actually that's what lots of people think. Lots of people are asking the question, who is Jesus? Who is God? But lots of people are saying, why would we need that in our lives? When they hear about church, because... Let's face it, when we're hurt particularly by an organization or by church, we speak about it. And when people are hurt by something like that, by something that's happened in a church, what happens after that 
is quite significant, and it shapes how other people see Jesus. It creates a blindness in people that was never meant to be there, that makes people quite broken, and it stops people from seeing him. And I think one of the mistakes that we make as Christians is thinking we just have to get our friends and our family and everyone we know to church, because then, then it will be okay. And so we start talking about church, and I bet, your, bet my bottom dollar that you have said this phrase, yeah, but our church is not like church. Yeah, but our church is a bit different. Like, you should just come, because it's really, honestly, you won't understand until you just come, because it's different. And yes, we are, and we, you know, we love the fact that we have slightly different worship. We are a vibrant church. We have contemporary worship, and we value the presence of God, and that is our highest priority in worship, in prayer. But guys, it's not church we need to be showing them. It's Jesus. And so when we say we value the the presence of God, the reason is because we know that we could do everything in our strength to make this the best church that it could possibly be. And we do try. (laughs) We do try. We try and think through every possible eventuality. You know, have we got enough prettiness? in the room no is the light just right is the temperature just right what about the sound we need it to be just loud enough so that we can't all hear each other singing because quite frankly you don't want to hear my singing but we don't want it to be too loud that that actually we're deafened we're thinking things like are the chairs laid out correctly are they enough distance from each other so that when you stand you're not right faced with the next person There's a lot of thinking that goes into this, people. And it would not matter if we got every single element absolutely 100% perfect. Because if we don't have Jesus in our church, if we don't have God, if we're forgetting to make the main thing the main thing, what, what is the point? It's not us that people need to get to know, as lovely as we all are. And as wonderful a community as we have created, it's Jesus they need to know. And so this question, again, flashes all the way through time to current day for each one of us. Who do they say I am? Who do you have around you who's asking the question, who is Jesus? Who do you have around you who's thinking about it? Oh, you go to church. Oh, didn't think you would go to church. Who is curious? And what are they saying? What do they need to know about Jesus? And then comes the question, who do you say I am in that moment? You see, guys, we have an invite, don't we? Uh, As our church, we have an invite of come as you are. And that's the truth. And we do genuinely mean that, come as you are, because that's exactly what Jesus would do. He would not keep people at arm's length because they weren't quite the right of people. They were a bit messy, a bit smelly, not quite like us. They swear, oh, they can't be in our church. Jesus would never have done that. He would have invited every single person in and welcomed them with open arms and loved every single one of them, regardless of what their history was, regardless of what their lifestyle was. And so we say, come as you are, and we mean it. But I feel like there should be a little bit underneath that in really small font that says, don't stay as you are. Let Jesus shape you. 
We want to be shaped by him. And in order for that to happen, we have to be able to declare who he is. So that like Peter, he is able to say, you are the Messiah. Because if we are recognizing Jesus as king, as Lord and as savior in our life, and we are declaring that over every single situation in our life, and we are telling people what Jesus has done for us, that's what carries weight. So this invitational culture that we have where we're saying, guys, get your friends to come to these events. We're trying as a church to make it as easy as we can to invite as many people as you can to get to know us and to dip their toe in church. We've even got hashtag try church on our social media. But I can bet you there's quite a few of you who've done what I did and you've taken a scattergun approach where you've just invited absolutely everyone You've added them all into a Facebook group and you've said, there's this event on at church and we're going, you should come too. Or you've invited loads of people by text because you really want them to come and you know it's fun and you want them to be part of it too. And then you're really, really disappointed at the fact that actually no one has come. Or there's one or two or three people that have come, but you had invited heaps. And so why are they not coming? The reason they're not coming is because they're all broken people too. They're all blind they don't understand what church is. They've probably heard what church is, and quite frankly, that's nothing I want to be part of. It's not church that we need to be persuading them about. It's Jesus. And so when we're having these conversations, bigger, wider church, church leadership speak would say there's an incubation period because we know that this is about relationship. And so what you need to do, instead of taking a big scattergun approach like I did, and then being really disappointed that actually nobody even replied, how rude, never mind came, what you need to be doing is sitting down with God and saying, show me, show me who those people are. Who is it in my life that is curious? Who is it in my life that you've already be speaking, been speaking to? Because remember, it's him that does it, not us. And then in that moment, when you're speaking to that person next, when you're having coffee with them or you're in the playground, be brave and ask the Holy Spirit to help you find the words to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. Not to tell people that church has great coffee and biscuits because, you know, they might come for coffee and biscuits, but they're much more likely to come if they can hear how Jesus has transformed your life. For me, that looks like I came to church and I met people that I had no idea would actually love me for who I was. For me, that looked like I came to church and I had an actual physical experience with the Holy Spirit. And from that moment, I know my life changed. For me, that looked like I came to church and I got to know this man called Jesus who loves me more than I could ever imagine that I would be loved. And that's when my life changed. And every single one of you has a story. Every single one of you has a way of putting that into just one or two sentences to be able to say to people, Jesus can change your life. So when someone's sharing something tragic that's happened in their life, and I know that you can think of many people in your lives right now that are going through horrific things. When someone's sharing something tragic, be asking the Holy Spirit in your head, what do you want me to say in this moment? I know this person needs you. I know that what they need is to be taken away from this crazy moment in their life and they need a touch from you. How can I bring that in this moment, God? 
what can I say to them? And often for me, the simplest way I can put that, because quite often I would chicken out and trip over my words, but the simplest thing I can say is, I don't know what to say to you, but I do know a man who knows exactly what to say. Can I pray for you? And in that moment, if they say no, then you say, that's absolutely fine, but just know that I will be praying for you. It can be that simple, guys. There's so much more we could say about this passage, but I want us to have plenty of time to spend in the presence of God. But I want to leave you with this thought. Can you imagine what it would look like if every single one of us in this room had encounters with Jesus often, where he was revealing more and more of who he was? Can you imagine if every single one of us in this room was able to live a life completely free where the old had gone and the new had come? Can you imagine what it would look like if every single one of us in this room was able to declare who Jesus is in our lives and not just look at the stuff that is going on and feeling completely helpless? Because that's the stuff that can transform a community. That's the stuff that can transform so many other people's lives. That is what we need. We need Jesus to be oozing out of us at every given opportunity. But what does it take? It takes us being in the presence of God. Does everybody stand?